0: Hello and welcome to another edition, another episode of Unapologetically Educated. I am deeducated educated or De hannibal and I am super excited for episode two. Guys, this one is going to be jam-packed with some stuff that school leaders need. I can tell you a couple of things that I learned when I first became a school leader. There's two things that you just really want to make sure you up on the up and up about. It is Budget and finance and special education. And so today during our Real Talk topic, we're going to dive into a serious um, concern that I have in regards to special education but kids in general. Um, And I'm not going to even give it away yet. I'm going to wait till we get to Real Talk topic. So um, as we talk to our our guest of today, she is Dr. Hickman. I want to first start off by reflecting y'all on my week. So you know how you have a really good week? Um, I had so many blessings to happen that week, so many surprises, things that happened during the week. So I'm working a middle school basketball game and I happen to look up in the stands and I see um, the teacher, the coach that really helped turn me around, change my life. And so we're going to talk about him when we do Thank God a Teacher Raised Me. And I was so excited to see him. Then I got a shout out from Principal's Principals on Facebook. She gave me her blessing to keep this thing going. So I have been just pumped this week. Well, you know what happens in leadership when you get too excited. Uh, the gauntlet drops. So um, I ended the week kind of on a rough, rough patch. Not going to talk too much about it because, you know, I will say this, if you are a school leader, you know that trials, tribulations, setbacks happen, but we just keep moving. Um, We, you know, pray about that thing, meditate on that thing, whatever we do to get ourselves back uh, centered. And we go back and we fight another day for kids and teachers, right? So I want to introduce you to my friend, my colleague, Dr. Aquita Hickman. Um, she's gonna talk today and give us the special education side of our real talk topic. But I'm gonna let her introduce herself, Dr. Hickman. Hello, good evening. <laughs> I'm Dr. Quita Hickman,
1: specializing in special education, consultant, parent, and lover of special education and all things children. I'm excited about being here today and most importantly talking about this topic and how it supports our teachers and administrators and those who are in charge of making sure every child has a magical experience in school.
0: All right. So she made her intro short, so we're going to dive into this real topic. So the title of this episode is, you know what, girl, hold my purse. <laughs> That's the title of the topic. So this real topic, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read the headline. She didn't know. Her autistic son could be tasered at school. Right there, you know, I'm sorry, drops mic, my heart when I saw this yes. article. Pretty deep. Yeah, start beating fast. So I'm just going to kind of give you a synopsis, as usual, of, of what happened. So two years ago, at the start of school, this parent, uh, Ms. Phillips, got a call from her son's school asking her to come pick him up. When she arrived at school, she found him slumped on the hallway floor, sitting in a puddle of his own urine with a taser prong still attached to his body. A crowd of adults huddled around him, staring and chatting, not paying him much attention. So this is a 17-year-old student. He is a student of color. He is a nonverbal student. And so it says, as you continue to read the article, and I'll post it on Twitter for you guys, um, we don't know the full story, and we probably will never know. So basically, what the article says, um, her son was stressed and had left the classroom to go to the bathroom. On his way back, he started engaging in, and I said stemming. Behaviors. A repetition of movements is common with most kids with autism. He lingered in the hallway, rubbing against the wall, cupping his ears and closing his eyes. So some point, fast forward, um, a school cop or resource officer arrived at the scene after staff called for backup. At this point, when he arrives or that when the officer arrives, administrators were engaged in a struggle with this student. The student had repeatedly tried to re-enter his classroom, but the administrators had blocked him. When the school resource officer arrived, he already had the taser out. But Phillip's complaint describes typical stimming behaviors throughout. So what happened is the kid is stimming throughout. Now, yes, that may involve some some shoves, some pushes, some lunges, but as I see it and as I read it in the article, and I'm not saying that there's not more to the story, the kid is trying to go back into the classroom, and the adults will not let him. So, fast forward, they're trying to get him to not go into the classroom. There's a struggle. They tase him. He falls to the floor, urinates, calls his mom. Mom arrives in scene right so we know as leaders um that there's more to this right but i want to just stop right there a mom arrived at the scene no medical attention no nurse with the taser still in her son's body and he's laying in his son in his own urine as a as a principal, and I'm speaking with my principal hat. I have a whole lot of other hats I want to wear on this. But as a principal, you are in charge of what happens in your building. Let me say that. If this kid would have died, you are in charge of what happens in your building. And that is a fear that I know a lot of my principal colleagues, absolutely. including myself. What would yeah,
1: you say? I said absolutely. Yes,
0: that we all have. Right. And so for me, if a kid is having any type of a, a behaviors, aggressive, and it feels like that we might not be able to manage those behaviors in this instance, if the kid is trying to just go in the room, the special ed teacher had in me, I've been trained to let the kid just go do whatever and remove everybody else from the situation. And let the kid do what he needs to do, he or she, until that kid calms down. But at no point in my training have I ever been told to tase or call someone to tase a kid. And I've had all kinds of uh, students that have aggressive behaviors. I was a behavior classroom teacher. I was a leader at a school that had students that had severely aggressive behaviors. And I can tell you that's never been the case. And so... I wanna before I pass it to Dr. Hickman, I want to shout out. In my 17 years in education, I've worked with several plethora of resource officers, and that type of behavior has never happened. They walk in the scene, they go, okay, tell me about this student. Does he have any special needs? How do we handle how do we handle aggression when this type of situation arises? They're there. Basically, as another calming resource, they're not there to engage in combat with our kids. Dr. Hickman, give me your thoughts. Well, I, as I was looking
1: at this article and listening to you read about it, I think that there was a, a couple parts that are very important to note. And one is that the school, we many times cannot speak about about issues with children due to many laws that prohibit us to talk about children. But there was no comment given from the school to counter any of it, to say this is not true, that part of this information is not the way it's being presented. There was nothing. So we really don't have but one side, but we do have the fact that they did view a video camera. Mm -hmm. And so the camera told much of what the parent is saying. And in many of these instances that were detailed here, there was not any clear understanding as to why they chose to move to the point of bringing in a resource officer. As um, I was listening to the conversation you were just having, as well as considering the article, this child is a nonverbal student. And so there's a misconception many times when you hear nonverbal that those kids cannot understand what's being said to them. Mm. So the idea that he may not be able to communicate verbally does not mean that he doesn't understand commands. But verbal communication sometimes and most often is the nemesis for children with autism. So a lot of communication, a lot of talking from the adults could have impacted this whole situation and escalated right right. so as you hear the way that they describe the incident and read it and imagine it in your mind you actually see a bunch of adults closing in on this kid Mm. pushing him into an area in which it sounds like he's in fight or flight Mm -hmm. so he's trying to push his way through even the administrators blocked the doorway and stood in front of the student while he was trying to enter the right. classroom and i 'm not sure in what training you would put your human body in front of another student or any in front of anyone to block them from moving and not um believe that something physical is going to happen to you, <laughs> but if something did occur right, and so there's also the element of I heard no conversation within this article about the strategies that the school did use to de-escalate the matter. Mm -hmm. The lawyer of the parent talked about de-escalation, but they did not talk about any strategies that were used to try to curtail this matter from from escalating to a point that they needed to involve others. There were so many things in this article that really and truly troubled me from several different aspects and mostly from the video camera and the fact that these people were all there closing in when the parent arrived the child was still sitting in his urine with the prongs from the taser still into his skin uh, and so, um, yeah, it makes your skin crawl. It does. The sad part about it is that he won't ever be able to tell his side of the story. Most definitely. And so in the great state of Texas, that is why you have a lot of cameras in the classrooms. Those parents have advocated for that reason. That's true. Because those children do not have a voice. They can't come home and say, Mom, this is what happened. Right. But they're trusting us to do the right thing. And I'm not sure by any measure why a a police officer was needed for this incident at all. I can't determine from what was there. Again, we know that there are some other factors. Correct. Always, always. But the the factors described from the video did not warrant uh,
0: the need or did not show the need for a resource officer. So as we start researching, Dr. Hickman and I, we found plethora of cases involving kids being tagged at school um one that i um highlighted was um, a, a seven-year-old student acting out in class mm-hmm. was tased by the school resource officer. Um, the term was defiance. And I'm sorry, <laughs> any of my principals out there know you can coin just about anything as defiance right. in a elementary, middle school, or high school. And so, allegedly uh, difficult con- to control outbursts. That's every day. In, in some of the schools that I've worked in. And based on cultural proficiency, it could be a look. Well, true, true. Um, <laughs> right. Another one was um, breaking up fights. And so one student got tased because he couldn't or she couldn't calm down in time enough. And so my thing is we're being so reactive. We're going into situations with the intent to use police force on our kids and not use basically school training. And so it makes me wonder if school resource officers are trained or are they uh, for how to handle uh, our students with special education needs. Um, are they, you know, have they been attending ours? Like any anything. Are they given accommodations? Are they given BIPs, which is behavior intervention plans? It makes me wonder all these things because If this is starting to rise, this is prevalent. And so from 1997 into now, the amount of school resource officers in schools has quadrupled, more than quadrupled. And we understand why after Columbine, everybody needed school resource officers. But the sole purpose is for them to protect us from outside harms or student threats. And that, criminal conduct. Right, criminal this conduct. not
1: criminal conduct. Right. This was actually elements of a child's disability that actually were dangerous and maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I can't determine from what right. I read. But this does not detail any information that says clear-cut, we should have called the police. But positive behavior in, in, initiatives and supports... Our interventions and supports are to be provided to children. And that is a punishment to call in a police officer to tase a kid. shock therapy. You put
0: electricity
1: through a child's body to get them to conform.
0: But then, like, what if, because this baby was, like, a six-foot... Tall, kind of you know, big boy. It could have been
1: other line health, right? Issues.
0: Other, other line, uh, mm-hmm. other uh, underlying health issues. But how do you know how much pressure to add to it? How many voltage or watts or whatever it is to put on that? And so um, I think that's a good time for us to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Dr. Hickman about some tips and tools that school, school leaders need to know and utilize in this situation. Because another thing that's kind of like bothering me is the trauma that we have inflicted in this kid's life, this parent life. But not only that, the entire school. Because you know, if this was a high school, everybody know this kid got tased And they saw it. Yes. So now, if I'm a kid now, what what kind of wonder is what kind of social situations do we create in relationships for students and school resource officers if this happens in schools? So we're going to take a break right now. We come back. We're going to try to give you some tips and tools and dive a little bit more into this. See you in a bit. (laughs) Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. So, like in this instance, all it took was a little bit of courage. Nobody's not saying that you wasn't scared in the in the moment. I have I'm a school leader, it's been times where I've been afraid. But in that moment, somebody gotta step up and be the courageous one. And unfortunately, that's the job we signed up for as school leaders. So Dr. Hickman is going to talk to us a little bit about some resources that I will add. Um, I will add to Twitter and then I will also add to my website unapologeticallyeducated.com and you can click on episodes and also download the resources and the links that she provides today. So, Dr. Hickman, talked to me about the first one, which I was like, I didn't know about that. I'm mad. <laughs> yeah, part
1: of what I, I really want to tell every educator regarding special education, that you are not to use any interventions that are not evidence-based. So, when you develop a student's IEP or create a, a behavior intervention plan, you're to use evidence-based interventions. And the question is, where do we get those interventions? Okay, this uh-huh. one. Yeah. So the the thing is, with a student with autism, there are specific types of interventions that are designed to support those students in their particular needs. And one of the resources is the, these are websites. So the National Professional Development Center on Autism Spectrum Disorders gives you a lot of information on how to support students with okay. interventions there. Then there's a firm, Autism-Focused Intervention Resources and Modules. Most importantly for school administrators, this document—it was produced in 2014 and is still the most current version from the Department of Education—guiding principles: a resource guide for improving school climate and discipline. In page nine of this document, it talks about using security guards. Um, school resource officers, campus-based security, and talk about specifically the negative collateral consequences for students and that students of color and students with disabilities may experience disproportionate contact with the law enforcement and justice system. For this reason, schools choosing to use school-based law enforcement officers should carefully ensure that these officers' roles are focused on protecting the physical safety of the school or preventing the criminal conduct of persons other than students while reducing inappropriate student referrals to law enforcement. Schools should also ensure that school-based law enforcement officers do not become involved in routine school disciplinary matters. So, for instance, when a student escalates in behavior, we should have for students with disabilities a behavior plan that Correct. actually mm-hmm. drives you through <clears throat> what to do. And also every school person, they should have a crisis plan for the school. A crisis team. A crisis team <laughs> that identifies who does what in times of emergencies. And most importantly, everyone should be trained in de-escalation strategies. Most definitely. And those strategies should be vetted for the appropriateness of students with disabilities, specifically children with autism are a little different than students who do not and have other disabilities with the way that we use language to communicate, shorting, shortening the language, not using a lot of words, and using more visuals to tone the, the situation down. There's no mention, even though this student, they said he was nonverbal. Did he have a communication device? That's what I was thinking. In the actual picture, in the article, Mm -hmm. you saw him holding the iPad. Yeah, his mom said he loves his iPad. There's a very good chance that he could have had a communication device there in which maybe this whole matter could have been de-escalated by allowing him an opportunity to use augmentative uh, augmentative communication devices. It's AAC. I'm getting it wrong. But ultimately, the way that we use communication would really and truly help this matter. There are lots of research out there that supports schools that you have to look at each specific kid's needs. Right. And that's what school leaders should be doing.
0: And I will say, um, as a, as a middle school principal, I meet, even before it as an elementary principal, I meet with, um, my assistant principals, um, now I have I do have school uh, security guards and a school resource officer. I meet with my crisis team and we figure out, you know, based on last year, you know, what were some of the you know major behavior concerns we had? You know, who are kids that we want to make sure we build strong, you know, we want to build strong relations with every kid. But who are those kids we want to make sure that they have a point of contact person that in the event that something like this happens, we can find, cause it might not be the person that works with that kid every day. Like Man. I've had kids that it was the cafeteria manager and she was like, come on down. And she would talk to the baby and it was calmed down and deescalated that quick. But we have to be proactive and not reactive. And so for me, I think this tool, um, the one with the guiding principles um, for school, climate and discipline is one that I didn't even have. So I'm going to sit down with my team next week and go, Hey, Let's go ahead and unpack this document and see how we can make sure that we're, number one, adhering to it, but also making sure if we have any uh, blind spots that we have not been looking at and things that may potentially escalate, that we know what's going on. Um, I think about, I I go back to the iPad, maybe if somebody would have said, you know, here come get your iPad, maybe he would have just stopped. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, what was another resource? I
1: was, um, well, I was actually clarifying alternative augmentative communication devices. Okay. Was an AAC. They're low-tech. I mean, it could be so much as pegs, pictures. Mm-hmm. Some way that kids communicate. Because really and truly, most of the time, this is a communication issue. You right. see the behavior escalate because the student is unable to communicate as her wants and needs. And so, ultimately, I really think that principals need to be honest about the training that they need and their staff need. Yes. Whenever you have a student with a disability who gets a new IEP, a lot of times they allow an our committee or IEP team to meet, create a plan, and walk off. When we really need training on how to implement the, tra- the plan, how do we follow up with this plan? How do we ensure that what is happening here at school is also happening at home? What type of training do we need to bring to the parent? In Texas, there is a requirement of 11 strategies to be considered, and one of them is in-home training. And so what strategies are being used in the home that also need to be transitioned mm, into the community? Makes sense. So how does mom right. de-escalate him? Or is he Pretty having sure the same issue? Right? <laughs> it could be. But is he at church doing this? Right. If not, then what exactly are they doing at home that's keeping him from escalating to this point that we could actually do in school? Because sometimes it's a reverse. Sometimes it's simply the environment. All of those people in the hallway, all of the people all in front of the door, all of those things that we read in this article seem to be factors that would escalate any situation. Well,
0: any situation, any kid, any adult, if I felt caged in, what do you think I'm going to do? Right. And I will say to school leaders, be courageous enough to say when you don't know something and when you need help. I will bug somebody to death, y'all. Hey, what you doing? And I even got the, and I'm working on it, I'm trying to be better, where people would say, well, when Hannibal needs something, she wouldn't even say hello. I would just go in. And I didn't, they laughed about it, but I was like, do I really do that? I thought I'd at least say, hey, how you doing? I probably said it really quickly. Mm-hmm. But being a leader is being courageous enough to say, hey, I don't really know about sped." Can you come train me? I I need some help. I need some... Or when a problem arises, call your special education director. Call your chief of special services. Make some... Get some other people in to help. And be vulnerable
1: enough to receive the help. Well, that's true. Sometimes it's not so much that the help is not there. We also have to alter our ways. And many of the students that we're having to deal with are not going to conform to the systems and the ways that we have things in place. We have to modify our behavior for students. And the environment, we have to make a change in the environment and a change in our behavior, because many times we will trigger some of the behavior inadvertently. Of course, we're not trying to, but it happens. So we Uh have to be mindful
0: in this book. uh, And I'm going to add it to it's called Everyday Courage for School Leaders. I was in a master class with Kathy Lassiter and she talks about sometimes the school can be the place of trauma. Wow, that's deep. Let me say that one more time. She talks about how the school itself can be the place of trauma. Now, we go back to this situation again, and we go back to so many others where kids have been tased, choked out, handcuffed, whatever. How do we expect them to return? Yes. (laughs) And look at their peers. And engage in education. Right. And then, I'm sorry, if I'm another kid and I have a fight or I see a police officer, how does that build these great relationships with our resource officers, our community service uh, employees that we want to have with them. I think this further pushes us apart as a culture. I think we're now more bringing them in and letting them be the city police officer in a school makes those relationships harder and harder to to, to form those strong bonds and make kids trust them. So, I say that to say, when we have trauma in our school leaders, we got to do something about it. Um, And and we'll talk about that in another episode about being a trauma-informed school leader. Uh, But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back... I'm going to see who Dr. Hickman has for Thank God a Teacher Raised Me. <laughs> who is she going to shout out? And don't forget, if you have any, you can inbox me or I guess it's DM. I really don't know how that's called. On Twitter. Or you can go to my website, unap- unapologeticallyeducated.com and go to contact us and submit for your teacher to or educator. It can be a principal, custodian, uh, to be read aloud and praised. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. All right, we are back to my favorite part of the show. It gives me my warm and fuzzies. Um, It does. Don't laugh at me. Um, This this segment is entitled, Thank God a Teacher Raised Me. And y'all, I'm excited today. Like, I'm going first. Dr. Hickman, get yours together. together. But I have to share. So, as I stated earlier, I was working middle school basketball game. And if you haven't realized, I have a very big mouth so I'm walking and I'm actually like probably shouldn't be saying this like heckling some of the visiting parents because I know them from another school I used to work at so I'm saying we're gonna win and we did not win but I was saying that I, my kids were gonna like whoop their butts right so I'm walking by doing way too much with the parents and I look up in the stands and I see this guy like he looks like a guy I know but he's you know a whole lot older and I squint and I was like, Coach Joe? And uh, sure enough, it was Coach Joe. And so, y'all, I tell you, this man saved my life. It started in fifth grade. I met Coach Macmillan, Coach Joe, um, in fifth, fifth, sixth grade. And I remember him saying, you are so tall. You play basketball. And so some of you guys have kind of heard my story in previous episodes um, of, you know, living with my grandparents, raising all six of us. Just not a good time in our lives. And so school was my safe haven. I owe everything I am to great education, to great teachers, to great principals. And so he says, when I'm in fifth or sixth grade, um, do you play basketball? And what does a kid do who needs some attention? You lie. Yeah, I play all the time with my brothers. Yeah, my brother was like six months at the time, but I lied. I said, yeah, I play outside with my brothers and I play in the neighborhood. He was like, good, I wanna put you on my AAU team. Okay. So, at that point, um, from that point on, like school had purpose for me. And it taught me how to be tough when needed, um, it taught me how to survive. I had purpose at any phase of school. I had coaches to direct me when I wanted to be, you know, too grown or too wrong or too loud. I had teachers there, coaches molding me, and it started with Coach McMillan. He would pick me up from practice, pick me up to take me to practice, take me back home. And so one of my fondest memories is we made it to this tournament. We qualified for this tournament in Florida. So we drove to Florida, like the whole team, and Coach Joe. And I remember calling my dad, saying, I'm going to be going to Florida for at least four or five days. I don't even remember. I remember going to Cocoa Beach, being afraid because, you know, I don't swim. (laughs) I do not. That's a whole nother show. But I put my feet in the water, and I was excited to be at Cocoa Beach. But I asked my dad before I left, I said, hey, I'm going to need some money. I'm going to be gone for five days. Remember, six siblings. So my dad gave me $20. I didn't tell anybody because I was like, surely everybody has more money than I do. So Coach Joe was like, why are you not eating? Like, I'm ordering. Let's give me, a, you know, the 99-cent chicken nugget meal and a water. I'm <laughs> watching my figure. I'm just making up stuff because that's what kids do when you got to survive, right? And you don't want to be shamed. So he said, well, don't worry about, you know, I'm going to pay for your food. I got you or whatever. So needless to say, I went to Cocoa Beach, Florida with $20. I came back with $18 because he took care of me, made sure that I didn't feel some kind of way for not having any money. Um, but to, I fast-tracked that into high school. I started looking for colleges. He was there giving me insight, and he was no longer my coach. But he just served as that voice of reason. Um, I had never run like I run for Coach Joe. And it's because, you know, I was like, I told you, I was not the best kid, but I tell you like the the talks that we had about, you know, your family is not the only predictor of your success. And I remember him saying it over and over. You can't change your family. So many people will change their family. It's what you do with the tools you're getting at school, the things you know that are wrong that are happening in your family. You know, they're wrong. You can't let that happen with you. So someone who just really gave me like some foundational, you know, nuggets. Uh, I thank God for Coach Joe McMillan, mm. Dr. Hickman.
1: Oh, Coach Joe!
0: Oh, please see how you did. <laughs> I was real caught up into yeah. your story. <laughs> see, I knew you was gonna do the wang <laughs> no, wang I really feel like I'm moved right here. What? Uh, <laughs> she does not feel <laughs> <I am> moved because <laughs> Coach Joe took care of you. He did. Oh wow. Um,
1: the teacher that um you know I'm from Arkansas, so there was where I'm from in in the Delta region of the United States there's nothing but farmers, preachers, and teachers okay so of course um my parents were teachers, and so my mother is is the one who actually literally raised me, but not only did she raise me as a mother, she actually ensured that um educationally I had access, and during the summertime she would Make uh, our one of our rooms into a school. Mm-hmm. And so I had school all year long. I, you had all the extra copies. Yes, I did. Actually, I'm not sure she realized that if you teach me all the curriculum before I get there, then what am I supposed to do when I'm there? Yeah. yeah
0: that's,
1: <laughs> that explains a lot. Yeah. That's why I was <laughs> talking and doing some other things. <laughs> I already learned that that summer. But that she really impacted me in, in a lot of ways. And as I moved forward... I really think about the way she ensured that my writing and my communication, my verbal communication were all intact. And so I'm very conscientious about it right now because of how she ensured that I was able to read and write well, Mm -hmm. but also speak well. And so for that reason, I owe my mother a lot. Because as I've moved forward and, and improved myself in my career, being able to speak, being able to talk, Definitely. has been a, an essential part of my growth and development. And i be honest with you, as an African American, many times when I am standing up to speak, everybody's looking with this side eye waiting to see how many verbs I break. And just... <laughs> Well, I do all the time, and I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but that doesn't happen. So I can tell you that because I hear her in my in my back of my mind standing there telling me to ensure that I stand and make Mariana,
0: Arkansas proud. Okay, wherever that is. <laughs> <It's in Arkansas. laughs> but mom is also, your mom is also a, an exceptional school leader, too, a retired. Well, she's
1: a retired exceptional, principal yes. assistant superintendent. And she worked really long years in ensuring that a lot of kids' lives were touched. And I'm going to tell you what really made me really feel the warmth is she had a birthday party when she turned 60, and all these people came that were her students. Mm. And so in that time period when I was growing up, the kids would come to your house. You know, you can't bring them home now. (sighs) But in the country, they all... Don't do that. No, that's (laughs) that's not. But they would all come to her. And even now that um, she's retired and she's sick, They call and check on her, and all of these kids remember the impact she's made on them. But she was also my elementary school principal, so.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Shout out to mom. Alma Clemer. Alma Clemer, shout out. Uh, She's, I will say, Dr. Hickman is amazing, but um, I, I remember one of the fondest stories. I am a workaholic by trade, by heart, by craft, and so Dr. Hickman would tell me when we used to work together, um, you got to take better care of yourself. Like some of the same symptoms that I would have. She's like, my mom used to have that. You got to take better care of yourself. You got to drink more water. You got to do this, this, and this. And so I will say I now, you know, happily walk around with two liters of water and try to finish them. But I, I think about... You can be a great leader, but you got to take care of yourself. Yeah. And that's a whole nother segment in itself. And we're going to have some great people on to talk to us about that that's coming up in some of our January episodes. But, Dr. Hickman, I want to say thank you. Thank
1: you for having me. And I'm, anytime you need me to come and talk about children or anything that helps educators become better educators, I'm all on board.
0: Man, thank you so much. And so um, I'll, I'll build you guys goodbye. Thank you so much. Don't forget hold, oh, Are you on Twitter? You don't really do Twitter well.
1: I'm not
0: gonna even. I'm not gonna have, I mean, nobody I have a Twitter account. But you do not use. it. I'm just to try to use it after today. Okay. Okay. So how do they follow you? How do they get at you on Twitter? I think it's Aquita Hickman. See. <laughs> okay. Well, let
1: me tell you this. But why are you flailing around? It is. It's Aquita Hickman.
0: Okay. Add Aquita Hickman. Mm-hmm. That's okay. So it. who's spelling that?
1: A K W E T A. Hickman H I C K M A N.
0: All right. And then you can follow me at D uh, Educated on Twitter. You can also get at me at Unapologetically Educated uh, at gmail.com um, and also at unapologeticallyeducated.com and go to contact. You can do shout-outs. You can if if you're a principal listening and you want to be a guest on the show. You can send me some topics that you are down for, um, any of that. But again, thank you guys for tuning in. Please subscribe. We are now on all media platforms. We're on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Public Radio, Google Podcasts, Podcasters. Anchor, we're on all of those platforms. So please go to Unapologetically Educated and subscribe. How are you packing up a bag while I'm talking? <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? You know what? We need a segment my on policies. rude educators because she has a
1: second safe bag. I'm well, sorry. Well, actually, I was trying to find my Twitter, and it is Aquita
0: Well, thank you. It is. I was correct. Thank you for that. Thank you. See y'all next time, y'all. Bye. Tell them bye, Dr. Hickman. Bye. Higler. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in to another episode, the second episode of Unapologetically Educated. Um, I have to say, my daughter told me that DMs are only for Instagram. So if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm not on Instagram. Um, You can reach me at deeducated. On Twitter, you can also email me at unapologeticallyeducated at gmail.com or go to the contact section of my website, unapologeticallyeducated.com. But leaders, man, it's always a long ride for us. And so I want to leave you with this week's reflection. It's from Daniel Bauer, Better Leaders, Better Schools. And the quote is, everyone wins when a leader gets better. Everyone wins when you get better. And so as leaders, we can't be afraid. We got to be courageous enough to ask for help if we don't understand something. And if we know that we're in a place or situation where there is no help, we go find the help. We signed up for this, and I know we all love it. Um, And so we have to do what it takes to be courageous enough to do the best for our students and our teachers and our communities. So I want you guys to have an exceptional week ahead. And once again, if you need me, you know where to find me. Have a great week. Good morning, unapologetically educated listeners and subscribers. Happy decade. I hope that you guys are well rested and ready to start up the second half of the semester i tell my staff we've been halftime and now it is press season this is the second half of the school year and we are revved up and ready to roll so before we dive into today's topic i wanted to reflect a little bit about like the last decade and share just some of my takeaways so number one my takeaway for the decade is never say never. Y'all, in 2009, I was a third grade teacher. I was loving life. It was pretty simple. I had never really experienced any failure that I worked on something that I worked hard at. So like teaching was something that was, it came natural for me. It was easy for me. And so 2009, was, um, a time where I was saying, Oh, I want to be a math coordinator. I don't want to be a principal, even though I had already kind of, um, put myself in places to lead and help on my campus. I just never thought being a principal was the route. So that was 2009. Fast forward to 2000 to 2019. And, um, I have been a school leader for, seven years. Um, I am now a middle school leader, and I, I would have never thought in 2009 that I would do anything in secondary education. I just never thought it was possible. And so um, my takeaway for the decade is never say never. What is planned for you um, will be, and and what you are innately supposed to be doing, if you're putting in the work, that is going to manifest in your life. And so I am honored to be a school principal. It is one of the things that I'm most proud of. The takeaway for 2019 is go for it. Don't wait for an opportunity to knock on your door. Open the door and let that opportunity in. Making decisions Uh, Making the decision to start the Unapologetically Educated Podcast has changed my life. It's enhanced my abilities to be a better leader, mom, and wife. Uh, So I I have to say, um, the more you listen, the better I get. So thank you so much for listening and tuning in every week. So before um, I introduce our co-host, I have to tell you how I met her. Happy New Decade, Team Unapologetically Educated. Thank you so much for listening over the past um, four episodes. This is episode five. And, you know, before we dive into the topic for today and introduce the co-host, like I want to do a quick reflection um, of the decade and of 2019 for me. And so I'll give you one takeaway from each one of those. My takeaway from the decade, I, I reflect back to 2009. I was a third grade teacher. Life was easy. <laughs> um, I was in a job that I could do well with not a lot of effort like I just love to do it and so any work that I did and and please believe me when I say I poured into um, the craft of teaching but I loved it so much it didn't feel like work ever at all and so at that point in my life I was deeply passionate about math and so I had started a consulting business and I was presenting across the state of Texas and a couple of times across um, the country over elementary mathematics and how to get kids engaged in it. I was Mrs. Math Games, y'all, in 2009. And so this was my passion. I knew at that moment, if you would have told me that I was not going to be a math coordinator for some district or um, working for our Texas Education Agency in the area of math, I would have told you you were a complete idiot. So my takeaway is never say never. So fast forward into 2019, I have never been a math coordinator. I have never worked for the region or the Texas Education Agency. However, I am so proud to say I'm a school principal. Um, It was something that I didn't envision for myself, but the steps that I took in my life, it was manifesting every year, every day, every minute, every hour. And so I say to you, never say never. Like you wouldn't have been able to tell me that I wouldn't have spent my entire year, my my entire career in elementary. I am now a secondary principal and I like it. I didn't think I would, but I really enjoy the work. And I say that to say, doing work that fulfills you will lead you to your purpose. Let me say that again. Doing the work that fulfills you will lead you to your purpose. And so whatever that may be, so I know that there's a lot of people out there, teachers, um, instructional coordinators, counselors, principals, that are kind of like waiting for whatever their next step is. As long as you are walking in your purpose and you're fulfilling it every day, your next step is already manifesting itself. Um, so never fear. The next takeaway is for 2019, and that is go for it. Don't wait for an opportunity, y'all. Knock down the door, open the door, let it in. So I say that to say making the decision to start Unapologetically Educated, start this podcast, it has really changed my life. It's something that, to be honest, I... Um, wanted to do for about three years. And so starting at the end of uh, 2019 has really helped enhance me as a leader, as a mom, as a wife, It's helped grow my professional learning uh, network, just learn from other great leaders. And so the more I pour into Unapologetically Educated, the better leader, the better person I become. So thank you. And so I guess the more you listen, the more you tune in, the better I get. So thanks for growing me. And we're going to transition now into how, man, I met this woman at um, the TEPSA conference, which if you're not from Texas and you're not an edgic principal, um, it is the elementary principal conference in Texas. And it happens every summer. It is a big to do. I can never get a hotel at the Renaissance because I always wait late to get my hotel, but that's neither here nor there. I... Attended a masterclass with Dr. Bale and it was phenomenal. But before I attended the masterclass, someone sent me an article probably about three years ago um, about Dr. Bale. And she had written, she had written a blog post entitled Will the Real Disruptive Educators Please Stand Up? I will link this blog post to my website. If you are a change agent, you are trying to be one. This blog post is a must read. And so without further ado, I uh, want to have Dr. Bell uh, come on and introduce herself and share some love.